Welcome to Parent Talk Podcasts, where experienced parents and expert guests give tips and tricks on making parenting a breeze. Well, at least a little easier. Now here is your host, Genevieve Kyle, and co-host, Heather Fox. Hi everyone, and welcome to Parent Talk, broadcasting out of the Greater Vancouver area. We're here to inform, educate, and support parents from the early years and beyond. Our show is a great way to expand your village and fill your parental toolbox with as many resources as possible. I'm Genevieve Kyle. I'm your host here on Parent Talk, as well as Only Parents Parle, which is our new French edition. I'm 42-year-old, and I'm a mom of two boys, Alexandre, who is two and a half, and Nathan, who is almost one. Today, we're talking about understanding your children's anxiety. So let's go around the table and let's introduce ourselves. Hi, everyone. Heather Fox here, co-host of Parent Talk. I am 41 years old and mom to Hudson, who is just over two years old, and I'm expecting a baby girl in March. My name is Sonia Ladifpour. I'm a registered social worker here in BC. I'm 42 and I'm a mom of four children, two teenage girls, 13 and 14, an eight-year-old boy and a one-year-old little boy. I'm currently in private practice at Bright Star Counseling. Hi, I'm Courtney Nichols Weston and I am 41 years old and the happy mom of a two-year-old little girl called Evan uh, and a proud auntie to four and two-year-old boys. Um, And I am a registered clinical counselor in BC working with children, families and in the field of addiction. Well, thank you everyone for being here. So what does anxiety look in children? First off, start talking about anxiety as normal. It's a normal reaction. Um, So anytime there is something new or a new stimuli in your environment, the body responds with being becoming alert. Um, So we often describe it as an alarm system. So kind of like a smoke detector, Uh, smoke detector will start firing when it interprets a stimuli such as smoke um, and this signals danger. So what happens for us is it elicits a feeling of fear or we start thinking that there might be a fire and we should hopefully run or or check out whether or not there's danger. Um, So with us working with children, what happens sometimes is a child's alarm system starts firing in the absence of danger. Um, And if this happens for a prolonged period of time, it can become problematic. So for children and adults, the response to anxiety is fight, flight, or freeze. So fight, you might have a child resisting something. Um, flight they might try and run and freeze you might get that sort of resistant sort of digging their heels in response where they just don't want to move Um, uh, it becomes a problem when there's no threat and when the alarm system doesn't get turned off and then we sort of help parents figure out how the best way to respond to that is Mm -hmm. so what's happening in my child's brain when he's feeling worry so when, when your brain is calm, we describe it as integrated. And, and when we're calm, we're able to use higher level thinking, and that's in the prefrontal cortex. So kind of roughly put, this is what it looks like. If your child is upset, and they know in theory that they should not throw things at their sister, if they're calm enough, they're upset, but they're calm enough, and, and you prompt them to say, you know that it's not okay to throw things at your sister, they should look at you and say, oh, okay, I know, or you know, they may sort of express an emotion, but, but choose the right decision to walk away. So that's how we know kids are working in their prefrontal cortex, is when they're making 
good decisions or decisions that they know um, are, are things that they've learned in the past. As, as a child becomes upset, they move down from their prefrontal cortex into their limbic system. And that's basically the feeling part of your brain. And I think as parents, um, as, as wives or husbands, we've all been in that part of our brain. That's where we start to lose our words. So if you're in an argument with someone, you might start to, or oh, you start to lose your words and you can't formulate what you want to say. That means you're in your limbic system. So if your child starts to sort of, oh, I'm so angry or start to kind of growl, you know that they're moving down from their prefrontal cortex into their feeling part of their brain. Um, and that part of the brain means we're cutting off that part of our brain that knows what we should be doing the sort of high higher level thinking so sometimes when we're in when we're in the limbic system we were able to sort of make decisions um, otherwise if we don't calm ourselves we move down into the brain stem and that's the fight flight freeze part of the brain so that's where your child has no words um, as in a is in a sort of really um, has uh, we describe it as losing control of either their thinking or of their bodies and then that's our job at that point just to keep them safe as parents, what are the common things we attempt that may not be helpful? Well, I think as, as parents, we want to we want to do our best for our child. We want our child to be happy, to be calm, and to be able to interact with peers and, and face the challenges of, of the day. So a lot of parents will want to rescue their child from any uncomfortable situations because it's hard to see your child if they're upset problem is that the child won't learn how to problem solve if we're continuously rescuing the child from situations the child won't know that they can rely on themselves and that they do have coping skills to manage um, another thing we also see is a lot of reassuring so telling their the child that everything's going to be okay you will be liked you'll get picked in the team that you want to play on and it really it supports this rigidity and inflexibility in, in the child and can also lead to a child wanting, wanting to be perfect, wanting to be the one that's always picked and wanting to be invited to every party when really we can't guarantee that um, for our child because life doesn't work that way. We are going to not get picked and we are going to um, have to be flexible in order to get, life, to get through life successfully. The other thing I also see is some over overprotecting. So keeping the child from situations where they might experience some adversity um, instead of letting them or helping them move through that. So not being invited to a birthday party or not being picked for a team and, and helping them understand that, that sometimes we don't get picked and sometimes we're not invited, but that doesn't mean that we're not liked and that they're liked by their peers and, and have a place in their community. And the other one is um, just providing that, that certainty. So in life, there, there are no certainties. And helping the child to navigate through the unpredictability in, in life will lead the child to, be, to expect certainty when, when, it's not, when there isn't cert any certainty. Heather, you were giving us an example earlier. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, I had a good friend of mine um, growing up that her younger sister had quite a bit of anxiety and had been dealing with different things at school. And it turned out that at one point, you know, she was constantly means kind of switched schools to school um, at home. She was very close with her mother, um, you know, which, of course, my girlfriend, the older sister, you know, was kind of then pushed to the side. 
Um, so it, it definitely, like the younger sister was the one with the anxiety, but it definitely did kind of affect the whole family where, you know, the mom and the younger sister were very close, but it wasn't kind of a healthy closeness almost. Um, and then, you know, this kind of continued almost like an enabling kind of where she was constantly trying to rescue, right? I mean, the younger sister went through things where she wasn't able to eat and different things like that. So it, it all became very focused on the younger sibling. And that definitely, you know, can be hard on the older sibling too. So I remember just hearing about those experiences and, you know, when I was over at their house and stuff and seeing that firsthand and how it does kind of affect the family dynamic as well when there's a child with an anxiety. And the expectation yeah. was like, you're the big sister, you're yeah. the strong one. So I like, yeah, my friend had a lot of, yeah. So she was just kind of, yeah, you're, you're the big sister. You can handle things. You'll, you'll be fine on your own. So yeah. So yeah, anxiety like becomes the, the extra member in the family. Right. Mm. And, and of course, this is back in the 80s. There wasn't, the resources were not there back then to figure out what to do. I mean, there was counseling, but it was only for her younger sister. It wasn't to help anybody else in the family or for anybody else to be able to understand, I guess, what was going on. As a dental hygienist, I noticed too that a lot of parents have anxiety themselves and they bring their child to the dental office and they're expecting their child to behave like an adult and the, the child is actually feeling the adult anxiety. So often if I have the ability to talk with the parents ahead of time, I do recommend the less anxious parents maybe to bring their <laughs> child specifically if it's for fillings or something like uh, like needs freezing and stuff like that right but sometimes a simple cleaning can be quite they can be nervous and that's okay right and say the real things to your child but avoid certain words like pain it's not gonna hurt you know obviously all oh, what the children hear it's gonna hurt and um yeah again it's that reassuring yes the over reassuring of and using all those blood not gonna hurt it, it, children all what they hear is that and i have actually uh, cleaned someone's little girl's teeth and she would ask me every 30 seconds is it bleeding is it bleeding now is it bleeding mm. right because that's all what she heard about right. from home right and um and i kept telling her no it's not bleeding you're doing great we're tickling your teeth and it's a lot more work for the health professional after to catch up the anxiety and again it's the the parent who wants to do wants to reassure the child and wants to do the best for the child and thinking that they're helping them through the experience so it comes from a place of not knowing love and not not knowing what else what else to do exactly and i think if you're not sure just just ask your health professional right like how what is the best way uh to explain this to my child and i'm talking here as a dental hygienist right but you can have a doctor a nurse it's everywhere right um so yeah i think it's a good idea and recognizing your own anxiety yeah yeah that's the main that's a good place to start right when you can be actually honest with yourself yeah can i use empathy as a tool to ease my children anxiety Yes, empathy is probably one of the most powerful tools to start with. And I think it it leads on with what we're talking about here in that instead of um, avoiding discomfort or trying to fix a problem for a child, uh, the role of empathy is to simply say, I see you and I understand. Um, And physiologically, that has a calming effect on the brain. 
Um, so reflecting to a child the experience that didn't happen the way you want it to, you, you're not feeling very comfortable right now, I see you, just, just those words alone are very calming. And, and I can definitely sort of use this as an example of my relationship with my husband. My husband didn't necessarily understand what empathy meant. He, he had the best of intentions. So if I came home from a bad day at work and I said, oh, I had a really bad day, he'd say, oh, don't worry, it'll be better tomorrow. And that's not calming to the brain. And if anything, sort of when we talk about the brain, you move from your prefrontal cortex down to your limbic system, down to that, I can't talk right now. Um, Or if he would try to relate to me and say, oh, you should hear about my day. (laughs) Again, that's not empathy and it's not calming to the brain. Or he would try and fix it. And he'd say, well, why don't you just talk to your friend tomorrow? And 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 again, all of these things, I think we can all just feel what that feels like. It's not calming. Are we married to the same person? (laughs) (laughs) We're all married to the same person. (laughs) I've put lots of time and training into into this. But no, I mean, I always said to him, I I understand what you're trying to do, but it's not working. And so we finally have got to a point where if I come home and I say, I've had a really bad day, he just looks at me and says, huh, you had a bad day. And that's calming, or at the very least, it's not escalating, and it doesn't make me angrier. Um, So I think we just need to understand the value of being seen by someone is automatically calming to our system. So to I think we make it harder sometimes for ourselves with children, where we think our job is to fix it, to minimize it, to make it go away. And it's not sometimes. It's just to say, it's okay. I'm here for you, and I understand, and we're going to sit here together. Um, And then that way what happens is the child is then able, hopefully, to either stay in their limbic system and just feel the feelings, Or sometimes, maybe not in the moment, but a little while later, they'll be able to go to their prefrontal cortex and say, you know what, maybe tomorrow I'll talk to Billy and say that I didn't like it when he did that in the class today and sort of help them come up and problem solve. And that's the power of empathy. My husband is very empathetic and I'm, I'm the one that is actually more like, oh, mm. that's too bad. You know, like I'm more like the husband here. So I have to say, <laughs> that it's not my always husband would the husband. say the other way around. He yeah. would say like, yeah, I have to add this here. <laughs> as, a, as a side note to that, uh, the book, The Four Languages of Love. Yes. yes. That would kind of fit in well with this too. To sort of, So I guess what we need to think too is what is your child's style? Yeah. Are they a hugger? Or are they a talker or, you know, my dad, my, I'm a, uh, my dad is a, uh, he gives me gifts. He gives me books. That's his language of love. He picks out really special books for me. You know, he may not say he loves me, but his language is love is to give. And so I think understanding the language of your child and your partner is important as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Be attentive, right? Yeah. When we talk about anxiety, one of the buzzwords uh, that we hear these days is resilience. What does resilience mean? Mm-hmm. So resilience is the ability to adapt well to adversity. So again, wanting the best for a child, we want them to grow up and maybe become a CEO of a company or make world changes. And when we look at really successful people out in out in the world, they are people that are able to take risks, are able to fail and get back up and, and try again. And there are those qualities that some children don't have the opportunity to learn because parents are rescuing or they're overprotecting or reassuring. And children making mistakes or going through an adverse situation bounce back and believing that your child has the ability to to bounce back from adversity is a really important component when we talk about anxiety. So how can I make my child more resilient then? 
so there's a few things that um, even as a family to make your family more resilient um, in with your with your partner or with your your children other people living in your family um, one of them is to have opportunities for downtime so turn the TV off, put your phone down, put the iPad down and have time as adults. We know this as mindfulness, but in children, it's playing. It's having time to rest the brain. And that's not in front of a, a TV or, or a tablet. Um, another one is, is exercising. So we know that uh, it increases neurochemicals that calm the brain. Um, this doesn't have to be organized sport. So you don't have to rush from swimming to soccer to to the next activity it can just be going for a walk with the dog or going a walk with your child which is a great great time to have conversations about what happened in the day helping helping your child problem solve through some of the the obstacles of the day um, another one would be to nurture optimism so model um, positive habits so looking for opportunities to help show your child that you can shift gears so it's raining outside there's a soccer game they can't play soccer well it might be a great opportunity to play in the rain if it's a warm day or to call a friend over to come over to play so modeling that positivity um, to to your child to show them these are these are skills that you can use in life another one is to teach to reframe so focusing what you have not on what you don't have because there will always be people that have more than you and showing the child in in daily disappointments or weekly disappointments that they have something that they don't have something that their friend might have and pointing to all the things that they do have allowing your child to face fear allowing them to just be a little bit outside of their comfort zone and believing that your child is able to to cope outside of that zone and they will will be okay um, which comes back to that earlier point I think we were talking about for not to rescue your child from situations that are uncomfortable and then helping build build the toolbox for for coping so doing some breathing with your child looking at different ways of solving problems kids are so creative if you give an a child an opportunity to solve some of the the problems that they that they encounter in life it would be amazing some of the options they come up with and especially now for teens, it's just be silent. Let them have the opportunity to talk. Listening is a very powerful opportunity for, to hear where, where your child's coming from and not to lecture and not to input your, your take on things, but really let them, listening to them and their life and, and their day that they've had. It's a little overview here. Well, and I like I like the word wonder. So wonder with your child. I wonder what will happen. You know, it might happen like that, but it might not. And sort sort of working with them to wonder that it might happen, but it might not. And I, and, and the thing about rescuing is is that the child never learns that it could have been okay. Um, or it might not have turned out the way they wanted it to, but the worst thing didn't happen. And so give your child the opportunity to see that things don't always go the way they want or the way they plan, but that's okay too. There's beauty in that. Um, and I think that's sort of the message is wonder what's going to happen with your child. And and I like the expression, uh, if, if your child says, oh, what, what if daddy gets in a car accident? He's not home. He's late. What happened? Well, let's make some smart guesses and some wacky guesses. A smart guess would be he got stuck in traffic or he's late at the office. A wacky guess would be he went to the moon or he took a, you know, a, a plane ride to Disneyland. Or, and so wondering the wacky things help kind of normalize that there's sort of realistic and unrealistic worries as well. Mm -hmm. and, and 
in terms of resilience, you are teaching your child to have some flexible thinkings. We know that children who are anxious are often very rigid. So it allows practice to think of different different outcomes. As parents, I think something we if we can avoid comparing with each other. So if we teach our kids by actually verbalizing us comparing our, our house, ourselves, our cars with the neighbors, we always gonna lose. This is this is not a good situation. And I think as a child, um, if they don't learn that, or if they learn and everybody they have what they have and everything is good, you know. And I think it's a good way to uh, to start to as a model, you know. Mm-hmm. And learning that fair fair does not uh, necessarily mean equal. No, not often. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> And I think just as a side note, often the social difficulties we sometimes see in our children is is secondary to the primary anxiety they experience. So children that are anxious often have a really difficult time being uh, socially successful um, because they're they're unable to perspective take outside of themselves because fear turns them inwards. And so it's important to know that those two things often go together as well. Mm-hmm. And we can also see them as externalizing. So you see the, the anger Um, angry outbursts, impatience, um, hitting a sibling, lashing out the parents, or as teenagers coming home really grumpy about something when it's, it's, we're looking, we're seeing anxiety, we're just seeing it come out differently. Mm -hmm. So when should we consult a medical health therapist if we have any doubt or if we're not sure if our child has anxiety? When a child uh, is unable to participate in daily life, I think that's the really the criteria of when you want to seek some some outside help of your family. But I think um, the more we talk about mental health, the more it has become okay to ask for help to ask, and that might just look like um, a session with a mental health professional of some parenting some parenting uh, strategies because the parent is the one that has the primary relationship with the child. Um, and just getting that extra support is sometimes enough to help you through some more difficult times. Yeah, I would say to parents, trust your instincts. If, if things start to feel unmanageable for yourself as a parent, things are getting too tough. You're, you're, what you're doing doesn't feel like it's working. It's not effective. If you find yourself getting into power struggles with your child, with your partner, if things feel unbalanced and just trust your instinct and there's so many wonderful professionals out there just to offer a guideline, it may not mean therapy. It might just mean some guidelines, um, but just tune into your child. And when things get too tough, just don't be afraid to reach out and ask for some help. So better sooner than later. Definitely, Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Cause it's going to affect your, your, your entire family if yeah. it's left too long. Right. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. A wonderful resource here in BC is a website called www.anxietybc.com and they have wonderful resources for parents explaining anxiety, explaining helpful ways of understanding. Um, and then if, if that isn't sort of a, enough of what you need, uh, going to your family doctor and just pursuing a referral to either a registered clinical counselor, a social worker, a psychologist, or a psychiatrist, um, I would use that as your, as your signpost. And do you think it's important to see your doctor? Your medical doctor first? Yes, yeah, see your medical doctor first so they can rule out any medical concerns related to the anxiety. So you want to rule out all medical issues uh, before you then go on to seek further mental health issues. Also for extended health coverage, you'll often need a doctor's referral uh, in order to get reimbursed from your extended health that your employer provides for you. 
Mm. So I would also encourage families if they are in distress and they feel they cannot cope um, to also call. um, There's a Greater Vancouver distress line to call 604-872-3311. That's open 24 hours to call. And if you're not in BC, every province has a number like this. So you just have to look it up. Yeah. yeah. Or your your emergency department mm-hmm. if you have a teenager that's in, in, in distress. And also every community has a, a Ministry of Children and Family Development, a Child and Youth Mental Health Office. So it's important to know that you can contact your Child and Youth Mental Health Office uh, and see about um, receiving a assessment or screening through them as well. Yeah. There's some also some great books you can read with your child or, or alone as well. Uh, one of my favorite books that I like to recommend to parents is called Anxious Kids, Anxious Parents. And it's seven ways to stop the worry cycle and raise courageous, independent children. It's written by Lynn Lyons. Uh, she's a clinical social worker and she offers some great tips in her books. Uh, there's also some um, children's books that you can read with your child as well, just to be able to identify worry feelings. One of my favorite one is uh, Yahoo for you. And they're just simple messages about trying new things and being flexible. Uh, another one is um, something might happen and it's how to manage the unknown. This is more for the four uh, year old and up age. Um, there's also the ones uh, very common, probably a lot of people know is called Scaredy Squirrel series about a little squirrel who's afraid of everything, but Aww. perseveres. He's an OCD squirrel. He's adorable. Yeah, we all we all love Scaredy Squirrel. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> scaredy Squirrel is always prepared for everything. And another one is that uh, Noni is nervous. Noni it's is another nervous. nice nice book for the from four to ten year olds. So Sonia, we have all this information um, on the on our panel with the expert. You just have to go under uh, Sonia, and you'll be able to find those books there too. Mm-hmm. I think it's time for conversation cards. Heather, can you please pick one, read it to us? All right, ladies. So, how is your personality like your mother's, and how is it like your father's? My father is the the logical side of me, is the practical, the looking at the various options, weighing the different options, and moving ahead based on research and which is a part of me. I like to read research and, and, and be very grounded in, in when I make decisions that I need to make that are heavy decisions. And my mom, who is an artist, is more spontaneous, will say whatever comes to her mind, and that's the fun part of me. So I think there's that the two sides of me, the, the logical brain and then the other side, which is the the fun, carefree, slightly disorganized <laughs> side. <laughs> That's good. And for you, uh, Courtney? Um, yeah, my mom was an artist as well, and she was a kindergarten teacher. And so that definitely brought on my love of working with children, wanting to be helpful. Um, she was also very nurturing. She was known to have all of our, my friends over after school, and she'd always have some food for them and was very worried no one was getting enough food. So she was always nurturing and feeding everyone. Um, and my dad is my geeky side, my sister as well, where we have a special sense of humor. It's really geeky and cheesy and, and uh, 
people roll their eyes when we tell jokes. Um, but that's that's our sort of sense of humor and our way of connecting as well. And my dad loves books and he's always nurtured that in me reading um, about things and helping people. If you ever want a good book, you got to ask Courtney. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she has all the good books She's from got her dad. all the good books. You know, the books you can't put down. Uh-huh. <laughs> For me, um, my mom is definitely the, the very nurturing side, and that's definitely where I kind of get that part of me. She's also very organized, and that's where I kind of get that part of me from. Um, where my dad, we're both complete night owls. We both love music. Like, that's kind of, I guess, my more fun side. Um, people always say I was very much more like my dad, but then as I'm getting older, I'm seeing a little bit more of my mom now come out, right? Because <laughs> now I'm a mom too, right? Yeah. So, yeah, so I definitely, definitely have both of them in me though. For me, definitely from my mom's side, my mom will not put something down until she's finished. And I have that definitely. Mm. Like I can't, it drives me insane to work with anybody that will say we'll finish it tomorrow that is really hard for me like let's finish it now and let's get over with and then let's start on a clear plate the next day um my my father is definitely more chill and relaxed and uh, and he was a financial planner so i've got my financial background from him and the vision and think a little bit in the future and protecting your family financially and all the other levels too but uh, that's definitely from my dad's side which my mom was an artist too and she was a a fur coat designer so Mm. it's all about (laughs) sewing and being very creative and I do have that part of her too like and when it comes down to like crafting and having fun and she loves flower to an extreme like extreme (laughs) (laughs) so I like flowers but not as much as my mom (laughs) All right, ladies, I want to thank you, Sonia. Thank you, uh, Courtney, and thank you, Heather, for being here. Thank you for sharing your expertise. For our listeners, the conversation continues on our website at parenttalk.ca. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Podbean. And you can subscribe to this podcast on our website at parenttalk.ca so you don't miss an episode of Parent Talk. Remember... There's nothing more powerful than feeling supported by a community of parents by sharing your thoughts, ideas, and experiences. Parent Talk, it's a safe space for everyone. Thank you for listening, and have a great week. The views and or opinions of the host and their guests are not necessarily those of Parent Talk and should not be considered as fact. The information offered is believed to be accurate, but is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice and should not be used for diagnosing or treating any health issue or prescribing medication. If you have any questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your child, please seek assistance from a qualified healthcare practitioner. Thank you.